You are listening to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast with Monica Louie, episode number 54. Welcome to the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast, where we help online entrepreneurs grow their influence, amplify their impact, and scale their businesses all the way to seven figures. And now, here's your host, Monica Louie. Hey, hey, thank you so much for joining me for the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. I'm Monica Louie and welcome to episode 54. I am so excited to bring you another incredible interview. My guest today is a dear friend and a copywriting genius, and she's sharing her top tips for writing copy that converts. But before we dive into the interview, if you are new to the podcast and don't know me yet, then I want to welcome you. I am Monica Louie. I'm a Facebook and Instagram ad strategist, and I run a successful ads agency where my team and I manage ads for six and seven figure online businesses. I'm also the creator of Flourish with Facebook ads, which is my online training program that teaches my step-by-step system for creating campaigns that convert. My team and I have managed $2 million in ad spend and served more than 800 students and clients. And we are in the trenches every single day, keeping a pulse on what's working now in the world of Facebook and Instagram ads. And while I absolutely love teaching about Facebook and Instagram ads, the goal of this podcast is to discuss what it really takes to build a seven-figure online business. And my guest today is an amazing copywriter that I can't wait to share with you. I'm so excited to bring you my interview with Prerna Malik from contentbistro.com. Prerna is the co-founder of Content Bistro, which is a conversion copywriting agency that she runs with her husband. Prerna has worked with over 450 clients worldwide, including some of the biggest and best names in the industry, such as Pat Flynn, Dr. Eric Zielinski, Kerwin Ray, Amy Porterfield, Carrie Wilkerson, Allie Worthington, and me. She is a certified conversion copywriter and uses her proprietary framework and process for writing engaging copy that balances persuasion and personality with the precision of conversion science, ensuring you get the ROI your business deserves. And as you'll hear in a moment, Prerna and I first met a few years ago at a conference and we have become great friends since. She is such a sweetheart, but she's also really good at what she does. Perna and I cover so much in this episode, including how to make connections and work with influencers like Amy Porterfield and Pat Flynn, the five-step conversion brew process for writing copy that converts. Perna also breaks down a launch strategy that she has replicated multiple times with great success. She shares the common mistakes that business owners make when planning their launch strategy Plus, Prerna reveals the connection conversion framework she uses to understand the audience and write copy based on where they are in the customer journey. Plus, we cover the questions you should consider when creating an evergreen funnel strategy and how to test and troubleshoot your evergreen funnel to skyrocket your conversions. As you can tell, this is a jam-packed episode. But before we dive in, I want to make sure you know that you can find all the links and resources that are mentioned in today's episode at monicalouie.com slash 54. That's M-O-N-I-C-A-L-O-U-I-E.com slash the number 54. All right. Here is my interview with Prerna Malik from contentpistro.com. Hey, Prerna, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm super excited about this conversation. Welcome. 
Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so excited too. And yeah, I just can't wait to see, you know, where we go and what we talk about. So let's do this. Let's do it. Okay. So first of all, can you just tell people who you are and how we met? Oh yeah, of course. Oh my gosh. The story of how we met is super interesting. So quick introduction. My name is Purna Malik. I'm the co-founder of Content Bistro that I run with my husband. We've been in business for 10 years now. I'm a certified conversion copywriter and I've had the joy and privilege of writing for several entrepreneurs, including Monica, Pat Flynn, uh, Amy Corfield, Ali Worthington, Dr. Eric Zelensky, Kerwin Ray, some really, really amazing names. And it's just been an honor to be a part of their teams and to, you know, to yeah, just write uh, sales and launch copy for them in website copy as well. So it's definitely been a journey. So the story of Monica and I meeting was in 2017. This was, I was attending an event in the US, FinCon and Success Incubator. And we met at the, it was a pre-event party, like, you know, uh, at one of the, I think, I don't even remember what place it was, but it was at at some like a really cool, fun place, apparently. <laughs> and we just got talking. And then Monica said that she'd be speaking at FinCon. And I just really found you so smart. And yet, you know, like you were so grounded as well. There were none of those, you know, how like some people just have like a vibe that makes you go, okay, yeah, you, you're super smart, but I don't think we could, you know, kind of be friends or hang out or whatever. Mm-hmm. But with you, I could like, I was like, she's really smart. She's Obviously, she obviously knows her stuff and I can't wait to get to know her better. So naturally, when you when I looked at the FinCon schedule and I saw when your session was going to be, I was like, I, I got to be there. <laughs> and I was there. And that's pretty much how we then kind of, you know, we hit it off and we stayed in touch over Facebook. And then one day you reached out and you were like, you know, would you like write my website copy? And there was like, of course. And... That's how we worked. And now we're both in the same mastermind group. So it's been a journey. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so fun to go back and revisit. I mean, that was... (laughs) I knew who you were even before then. I think that like Mm -hmm. we were in mutual Facebook groups. But Mm -hmm. then I, I just thought it was so cool because tell people where you live because then you you went on this US tour. It wasn't just FinCon. You went on this entire tour across the yeah. nation attending all these conferences for like a month. I remember that. That was so impressive. Yeah. So let people know where you, where you currently are. Yeah. So I live in India and this conference tour that Monica's talking about, it was a tour. <laughs> so I went to San Diego for an event and then I flew to Dallas for Success Incubator and... Uh, FinCon and Denise Duffield's, uh, you know, her Money Bootcamp Live uh, half day event, and then uh, to Nashville for Business Boutique. And yeah, I was there for like three weeks, three and a half weeks, maybe. And it was amazing. It was amazing and equally exhausting, <laughs> but it was just so much fun to be able to meet so many people. I mean, like you, you know, we were in different groups, we kind of knew each other virtually, but there is so much to be said about meeting in person. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that was just, I remember I was just so impressed. I was like, wait a second, you're not done after this. You're still <laughs> several more conferences. But then I'm so thankful you come to the US, you know, a couple of times a year. So we've hung out in person since at our mastermind retreat. Yep. But anyway, so I'm just so excited to have you here because I know, I mean, you are the expert when it comes to 
copywriting conversion. And you're not only good at what you do because you're excellent at what you do, but you're also great at teaching it. So that's why I couldn't wait to have you on the podcast. So, but first, before we get into like the tactics of copywriting, I would love to hear about your story because you were telling me this a little bit when we hung out. And I would just love for you to share with the audience about how you became an entrepreneur and with your husband and that whole journey. Because I'm always fascinated, you know, at least for me, I was going down the path of corporate life and that was gonna be that was gonna be it, you know, and then retire someday. And then, you know, my priorities shifted and that kind of put me on a different path to where I am now. So I'm always curious how people, you know, get to where they are as entrepreneurs. Yeah, sure. So uh, like you, uh, my husband and I, we were always in the corporate life. Both of us were working with American Express. Then we moved together to Dell. Then he went back to American Express and I took a break from corporate when I got pregnant with our daughter, Manini, because I have like a thyroid history and it was just advisable for me to be at home. So yeah, uh, but he was he was in the corporate life and I was like, yeah, all set. Very happy, like steady paycheck coming in. But what happened was after my daughter was born, like nine months in, and I love being at home and I love being with her. But because I think it's also partially to do with the fact that I've always been working like right after college, in fact. So I just wanted to do something. I wanted to do something that was creatively stimulating. That was, you know, it just felt like more for me. And, you know, so I started a blog, <laughs> which was, yeah, uh, this was like way back in... November of 2008, because that's when our daughter was nine months. So um, yeah, I started a mom blog and that kind of just, I think it was one of those times when blogging was, I would say, sort of new because it just took off and it started doing well. And it led to like a few people reaching out and saying, hey, you know, really like the post you've written. Would you write some for us? And people on like Twitter was really big at that time. I was, I was like, very active on Twitter. So so people on, you know, like some of my Twitter followers and blog readers, and it just like like a few part-time writing gigs here and there. And, but it was nice, you know, it was fulfilling because that was the age of, you know, when folks would comment on your blog post and you would go, oh my gosh, someone's read my blog post and, you know, all of those things. So that was, that made me really happy. But then what happened was somewhere along the way, like uh, my husband got really sick. He, and Doctors here couldn't diagnose what was happening. He was in a lot of pain uh, in like really all different parts of his body. Like his jaw would hurt and his feet would hurt and nobody here could figure out what was going on. Like doctors were giving us random diagnoses, things like he's got gout, he's got TMJ, he got operated for TMJ. He's got rheumatoid arthritis, like just about all kinds of diagnoses. So, and I shared this on my blog and uh, this is something you should know. Like I'm a chronic oversharer. I share on social. Like now, you know, like, I just love sharing because I feel like that's what social media is about. But anyway, so a blog reader then like kind of emailed me and she was like, you know what? I like from the description of his symptoms and things like that, get his pH levels tested. So like, okay. So got his pH levels tested. Turned out he had like really high inflammation in his body. But what that meant was like when he was unwell, the situation reached a point when he was in so much pain, he just couldn't go to work. So he had to quit his full-time job, which had been sustaining us till now. And he was on bed rest for almost a year. Yeah, like complete bed rest because he just couldn't, he couldn't wear shoes. He was in so much pain all the time. So when he quit, what happened was that we ended up using all our savings, which is like a good thing because we had like a decent amount of savings at that stage for us. But, you know, we used up all of 
that up for groceries, for medical bills, for um, our daughter had started play school by that time for her, you know, play school fees. And of course, for, you know, just the day-to-day running of the house and there was no income coming in. And, but our focus at that time was just to help him feel better. So once we knew what was wrong, we started changing our diet. We started eating right, like did like a lot of research on what causes inflammation. We realized like the foods we'd been eating because he, he was in so much pain. So he was eating like lots of, you know, pastas and soft foods and potatoes, but that was like just leading to more inflammation. So cleaning up our diet, basically that really, really helped. And like in about a year's time, he was feeling so much better. Uh, we were able to move house to a better apartment and we had to take that decision then that, you know, what do we do now? Like he's feeling better. Does he join the workforce back? Or because that, you know, the blogging thing, the part-time blogging thing had been kind of growing by that time, do we turn this into a full-time business? Now, my husband has always had an entrepreneurial mind. So like he always wanted his own thing. Not so much me. Like when people, I hear people say, oh, I was born to be an entrepreneur. I don't think I was. I was like, I was very happy with my corporate life. But he was like, you know, let's give it a shot for a year. Let's see if, we, you know, if we just put in all our resources and if we go for it, if it works in about a year, then good for us. Otherwise, I can always go back. Like whether I go back now or a year later, it really wouldn't make that much of a difference. So I was like, okay. So we jumped in feet first. No idea about how online marketing works. Literally no thought that, oh, we're in India and we want to work with clients in the US. How are we going to make that happen? We just knew that we would. We just had to, right? So yeah, but it, because we knew we needed a website. We also knew we didn't have the money for a website. So I reached out to a former boss of mine from an, or like for my first job in fact, which was at an ad agency. And I explained our situation and I said that this is what we want to do, but we don't have the money to get a website done. And he was like, yeah, I mean like my team will do it for you. Don't worry about the cost. And yes. And that's also a time, you know, when you learn about the power of humility, the power of asking and the power of grace. So um, those were lots of life lessons learned during that time. So he made our website for us pro bono. We paid for the hosting, of course. And then uh, that was, I think, we started a business with like $90 that we paid for hosting. (laughs) And I started reaching out to the clients that I'd been doing part-time work with and letting them know that we're doing this now full-time. And if they know of anyone, they could refer to us or if they had more work, happy to write for them. And then also again on Twitter and, you know, just kind of reaching out one-on-one to people who have been socially engaging with on online because before, like until then I'd never been to the U S and this was like really early days. And I also started doing like a lot of cold pitching and yeah, we gave ourselves a year and 10 years later, here we are. <laughs> so that's my story in a nutshell, a long story, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I love it. So, I mean, you got scrappy. You just started with what you had. You reached out to the connections that you had Mm -hmm. and you were making online. You got Mm -hmm. your website going. And so those early days, you started off with, you were freelance writing and writing social media. What did that look like? Yeah. Yeah. So doing a lot of business blogging, like blogging for small businesses, you know, like mom businesses, doing quite a bit of post writing for business coaches. Also a little bit of social media management. Like I mentioned, I was doing like, you know, we were, uh, I was pretty active on Twitter. So we were getting asked like, so you're writing a blog post for us. Would you do, you know, would you manage our social media as well? Like, okay. 
Because one of the things, uh, Monica, that we were very, very clear about is that we didn't want to get into debt. We could have at that time, you know, charged things on our credit card or, you know, taken out a loan to just go big. And I'm sure that works for a lot of people, but we were, because we'd been in a situation where we needed to depend on our savings for an entire year, we were very clear we didn't want to take any debt. We've been debt free forever. Like, you know, so we were very, very particular that we needed to be scrappy. We needed to, you know, bootstrap it and then just kind of reinvest into the business if it took off, which it did. So, and also primarily because we just did not have any other option. Like we were, we were at a stage where we were taking money from my parents because, you know, there was a point when we couldn't afford to pay. We, we'd like eaten up all our savings. So we needed to borrow from them. And though they were like really kind about it, we, I, that was an experience I didn't want to relive. So we were like, yeah, not doing that for this. doesn't matter if it takes longer, but it is how it is going to be. So, so we just did what we had to at that point of time to succeed and just relied on play to our strengths. So my strength was writing and you know, that's what I did. So, yeah. Love it. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm all about living the debt-free life. So I really commend you for that. And then, and now just to like wrap it up, your health and your husband's health, everybody's healthy, still sticking to yeah. a clean diet and doing well. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Not as clean as we want it to be, especially given the current situation, <laughs> but it is, you know, way better than what it is. And we're very aware now of what we're putting into our bodies because as entrepreneurs, I feel, especially as entrepreneurs, our health is just so important because it impacts everything, right? Right. Definitely. I mean, we need to be on our, you know, the top of our game in order to serve our clients and our customers really well. So that's super important. Yep. Okay. So you start off with your blog writing, social media management a bit. Like when did the transition to copywriting come in? How did that come into play? Because now your focus is, I mean, you're brilliant in writing sales pages, evergreen email copy, launch copy. I mean, you're just completely brilliant at what you do. So I'm just wondering like, how did that shift occur? So it happened quite organically, actually. Uh, I'd been doing this for a while now. And then we had clients reach out to us and say, okay, hey, I'm launching this product. Would you be able to write the sales pitch for it? It would usually be like an ebook or an, a, you know, a small e-course. And I was like, yeah, sure. And then I started learning about copywriting and, and what kind of differentiated it from the content writing that I'd been doing, which was actually at that time, you know, a lot of SEO content writing. So I had to understand the difference and also understand what made it. So I took, uh, you know, I studied copywriting um, books. I studied co- took copywriting courses and just kept like building on my skills while working with clients as well and helping them get results because that is at the end of the day, that's what's most important. So it just kind of happened organically. And then I realized that I enjoyed so much and also that, you know, like our clients see excellent results from it. It just made sense to go, you know, full throttle with copywriting. At this stage right now, I do content creation, including, you know, writing social media copy and blog posts, but only for clients for whom I'm also doing their launches. It's because then there's like cohesive messaging and the voice is consistent and all of that throughout. A lot of clients hire us for that where they say, okay, for my evergreen launch, would you also write the blog content and the social media posts and all of that to go with it? So that's now the only part when I do a write a blog post, but my focus now is entirely sales and launch copy. But yeah, lots and lots, lots and lots of practice, lots and lots of studies gone into it. And, you know, and then um, in 2018, actually, I enrolled with Joanna Veeb of Coffee Hackers and she's the one who actually 
came up with conversion copywriting as a, not just as a term, but as a niche in itself and um, created like the whole, you know, the whole school around it. And I signed up for her mastermind, which had certification linked to it. And that was like a pretty intense certification. Yeah. She ended up certifying just three of us from the entire group. And I think over the last 10 years, she's, you know, certified only about a dozen copywriters and I'm one of them. So all of that learning has gone into, you know, reaching the stage where I know that my copy performs. That's great. I love that. So can you share, because you are so well connected. I mean, you mentioned like you worked with you know me, but we, know, we already know how we met. Um, but you worked with Pat Flynn, Amy Porterfield, like uh, lots of big names. How did those relationships come about? Like, you know, can you share any kind of like networking tips? Because you're so good at it around like, how do you even approach like these big names and begin to plant those seeds of potentially working together in a, you know, in a great way where you're not overly pushy or, you know, uh, you don't want to be annoying. Sure. Anyways, anybody looking to make connections like that and potentially work with those big names, what tips do you have? Sure. So with Amy, honestly, it was in full transparency, it was a referral from someone she trusts incredibly well and someone who knew me really well and had seen me, you know, seen my work earlier and just knew the two of us and he connected us. So that was a referral. And again, it goes to just show like you need to surround yourself with people who can see what you do and who appreciate the value of what you do. But also, you know, I'm never very strategic, honestly. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I'm not really strategic when it comes to, oh, I need to connect with this one because, you know, he's connected to that one. I don't really think like that. I just connect with people. If I, Like I told you, like, I really liked who you were, you know, I appreciated your expertise and I appreciated you, you know, you being grounded and your personality. And I knew that, yeah, I just want to connect with her. I don't care who, you know, if you do know someone good, but, and if that leads to something great, but yeah, I just like connecting with people who, with whom I feel like I share like a value system. So anyways, so Amy's was basically a referral and like, I really believe in the power of referrals. Uh, With Pat, it was more, I feel it's just like a longer relationship of sorts in the sense like I've always followed Pat Flynn. I still remember we signed up for Bluehost. Uh, the hosting company that we signed up for was Bluehost because Pat Flynn recommended it. He was like one of the first sites we came across when we were starting our business and when we would do research. So, and then later on, because I was doing SEO content, he'd recommended Keyword Samurai was I think one of the tools that he'd recommended and that was another one. So I, I just trusted his recommendations so much and I, we would like, you know, we would just follow his blog and then his podcast and all of those things. And then obviously following him on social media. And then in 2017, I had the chance to meet him not once, but three times at three different events. So I think that kind of created an impression because I was at Success Incubator and then I was at FinCon and then I was at Business Boutique and he was speaking at all three events. And um, I had like, even at Business Boutique, I had like the VIP pass sort of like right in front. And then at Success Incubator, it was a smaller event. So I, you know, could get to chat with him. And then at FinCon again. So that was like when I got to meet him in person. And then just kind of stayed in touch with him over social. And then one day reached out to him and asked him if I could help the SBI team in any way with copy. And then he, he said, okay, like, let's get on a call. And why don't you tell me what you do? And you know, what's your processes like and everything. And so I met on a call. I walked him through our process, walked him through what I exactly do and how it could help him. And then uh, we ended up working on two different projects in one smaller scale. 
research-based project. Yeah. Love it. Okay. That's great advice. And I love how you mentioned you're not strategic. And because I feel like, you know, my clients that I've worked with as well, it's kind of the same thing. It just happens organically, but it's all about, you know, putting yourself out there and attending events, meeting people in person, and just, you know, also being really good at what you do so that those referrals just come naturally. So, you know, if that's, you know, I guess that could be, you know, kind of strategy is be really good at what you're doing and then making sure that you're, you know, attending live events and virtual events as much as possible, you know, being interviewed on podcasts like this, like getting your name out there so that the, you know, eventually, you know, people will come to know who you are and what your thing is and you'll be known for that. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I completely agree. Uh, This, it's not, you can't just say it's like a one shopping or it's, you know, like, oh, you can't just be a one trick pony. You need to have, you need to be genuinely interested in people. You need to be really good at what you do. You need to, you know, you can't just be all talk. And you also need to, you know, just show up and do the work that I feel is super important. Yeah. And we were talking about this too at the retreat that like showing up and doing what you say and hitting those deadlines and just, you know, showing up that you are responsible and that you have integrity that you will do what you say you're going to do and do it well. I mean, that goes a long way. Oh my gosh, so much, yes. If you're building a business that's going to not just leave a legacy, but that's sustainable and that's thriving, you cannot do that by dialing it in. You can't do it by just right. you know taking like the nearest available shortcut. You need to be able to just get, you know, live in integrity and deliver on what you say. Right. I'm always thinking about my reputation. You know, what are other people going to be saying about me? And are they, you know, going to be recommending me? And when I, you know, hear those referrals of like, oh, so and so, you know, said that I should reach out to you, like that's just the biggest compliment. And so, you know, I'm just always paying attention to like, how am I coming across online? How am I coming across in person, you know, at events and and just always, you know, trying to maintain a level of professionalism, if that's the right word. I don't know. You know, but then also, you know, just being who I am and being authentic as well and and building those relationships and being sincere. Yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So let's get into the copywriting. I know you've got your copywriting process, the five-step conversion brew process. I'd love to start there and then I'd love to get into specifics around what's working for launch copywriting and evergreen funnels. Mm-hmm. If, mm-hmm. if you're cool with that. Does that sound good? Yeah, absolutely. So the conversion group process is the process that we uh, we follow uh, when we take on any launch copy, any sales copy project. So it all starts with like a really short call uh, for us to see if we're both a good fit for the prospect, for the prospect, and for me as a copywriter to see whether we will both work well together. I feel that's super important, and uh, for me to know what's going on in their business, what are they, you know, where do I come in, what are their goals when it comes to their, you know to their launch, who's going to be involved in this project, all of those details. And then once we decide on next steps, which is like either we decide we're going to work together or, you know, we decide that, you know, maybe they would be better suited for another copywriter, you know, then we take that, we move it to the next stage. So if we've decided to work together, then we, you know, go ahead, what I call like the deep dive where we go ahead and sign off on the contract, the proposal, or if they bought a package, then it's like, just, it's like, we just sign up on the contract and then kick off like with a questionnaire. I, and we meet our uh, copy kickoff call, which is usually between 60 to 90 minutes. And then step four is where, you know, it gets 
really interesting because based like we've I've already got you know your the client's point of view in terms from the questionnaire and the call, but then I start going deeper into their customer's point of view and their customer's lives. So a lot of research on that. It would include interviews, like meeting on Zoom calls and a lot of surveys, polls, forum mining, and a lot of reviewing of their content, what their students are saying, you know, the exit service that they've got from their students. All of that research is compiled, tabled, and organized. And that is when then I start working on the writing process. So that step five is basically writing. So before I even come to writing, then there are all these steps that need to be knocked off. And then I start writing. Once I write it up, it's sent, you know, I organize the data, like present the copy to them. And but before that, I also send it over to our editor. So she has a once over, she goes through it, makes sure it's tight and, you know, reads well and all of that present the copy and um, we make any edits that are needed and all of that. And then it moves off to optimization stage, which we call the coffee and conversion chat, where like after the launch or after the funnel's been deployed for like, if it's an evergreen funnel, we're look, looking at about 30, 60 days of data. Then we meet for an optimization call to see what was working, what needs to be optimized, what could be better. And yeah, all of that. So it's like a real relationship. It needs, you know, it needs time, it needs effort, and only then does it work. I love that. So, I mean, thinking about when you're writing your own copy, are you going through this process? Are you getting that specific with your research? Are you really, you know, we, I think we have clarity or are you getting clear on what your message is and and what your product is, but then also getting clear on your customers or clients point of view. And so like, I know when we worked together, you were in Facebook groups and you were asking people like, what are you looking for You know, when it comes to Facebook ads? What's holding you back? And so that you could really understand those objections, but also you know, what are the underlying thoughts that people are having when it comes to looking for somebody to help with a service or to learn from. So I really appreciated how deep and thorough you were with the research. And so I love that that's like a huge part of the process because that's going to help it convert so much better. And then once you've got it pushed out into the world, I mean, just like with the world of Facebook ads, you know, hitting publish and hitting go on the campaign is not the end of it. Then it's about the optimization and testing and tweaking and seeing what needs to be revised so that you can increase those conversions. So I love that that's built into your process as well. Yeah. Yeah. No, that needs to be like, you know, for launches, especially you need to see what's working, what's not working. And I'm not one of those copywriters who like just going to hand over the copy to you and say, okay, go do your thing. I want to be involved in the whole process. So like I was just on a copy presentation uh, call with one of our clients earlier this week. And I was like, I want to be involved in the design process. And that, I tell that to like every client. I want to be involved in the design process. I can ensure that the copy that I've written is rep- being, you know, is showing up the way I envisioned it. I do give them like wireframes, but I also know that I, I don't want to step on designer's toes, but at the same time, I do have a vision for the copy. So I want to be involved in the whole process. I want to know if you're running Facebook ads, for example, you know, and I want to look at that copy. Again, I don't want to step on any toes, but I do want to ensure this message match. So I'm not going to say, okay, no, you know, this copy is not great, but I just want to say, yeah, okay, cool. They're doing this and we're doing this and this all comes together. So it's so important to be part of a team and to work as part of a team because Everyone knows whether you're launching live or you're launching evergreen, it is never a one-person show, right? It is always teamwork that kind of brings everything together. And then when the whole team works well together, it just becomes so much easier to get things done. Love that. I absolutely agree. 
And from our side, from when we're, you know, creating these Facebook ads, like we're always looking at what is the landing page, the copy on the landing page saying, because we want to make yeah. sure that we're, you know, we're having cohesive message with, you know, once they go from the ad to the landing page, are we telling the same story in the same way? So, yeah. you know, we don't need to reinvent the wheel if, you know, a copywriter, somebody's already written, you know, the bullet points on the landing page and what the benefit of the offer is. So I definitely agree with you there. Okay, so let's talk about launches. Can you give an example? And you don't need to say who or anything, but can you just mm-hmm. give like a you know brief case study of like a successful launch that worked really well and what you kind of learned from that about like why that converted so well as opposed to some launches where we push it out there and like we don't get the response that we're looking for. So any insights there? Oh my gosh, so many. Well... Let me share something that a strategy that we tested out with a client and pretty much everyone was, you know, like everyone I shared it with and like my mastermind groups and everyone was really convinced that's going to work. But surprises, surprises, it did work and it worked so well that they've now gone ahead and replicated that across all the products that they're offering. So what we thought was like, it was for, it was for a series of classes, like online classes on different subjects. And what we decided when people would opt in, they would get like a free preview of the actual paid classes. So if they were like, let's say for example, uh, you know, there were like 12 lessons, they would get to watch the first three. And then like from the actual paid program, this was not like, you know, your PLF videos. These were like actual lessons straight from the paid program. You opt in and you watch those three lessons and then below, right below the video there would be the icons that locked icons saying you could unlock these and then we would have the sales page you know highlighting what the class was who's it for and like a regular sales page right so everyone i spoke to was like but why would they want to buy like you're already giving them you know like three lessons free and what if you know but people loved it they loved the fact that when they opted in they weren't just getting freebie content they were getting what you would actually call probably freemium content. Like these days, mostly what, what's labeled as freemium isn't really freemium because, you know, it's really no value. But these were like actual really helpful tutorials that they could like, they could just take those three lessons and be on their way. But because they loved the quality of the lessons and they could actually see, you know, that they're so helpful, they wanted the whole thing. So they would end up signing up. So that was like a strategy we tested out and that worked really, really well. And this client went ahead and he's in the natural health and wellness niche and he went ahead and used it for all his, you know, he was, yeah, they really liked how that performed. Very cool. So then did you follow up with like emails? How were you driving leads into, you know, viewing those free lessons? What, how did all of that work? So we had, once they would opt in, if they would not buy straight away and not get added into the buyer segment, they would get emails as reminders to watch the free lessons, which were available for 72 hours. And so we would like have that. And then after the watching as well, people who would watch the lessons and not buy, we had like a, what you would call a post viewing sales sequence kick in as well. And where we would offer them like, you know, the special price that they would get, it would still not be as low as what they were getting at that point of time, but it was still lower than the regular price. So yeah, there was a full email sequence that would kick in as well. Got it. And then how long was the entire promotion? Mm. So there was 72 hours of free viewing. And then there was... I did this last year. We did like 
nine, 10 of these, but I'm, I'm thinking that we had like 72 hours and then we had, you know, so there would be reminder emails that would go out two emails a day, morning and evening to remind them to watch. And then if they would watch, then we would remove them from that segment. And then the ones who would watch and still not buy, we had daily emails go out for I think five days. Yeah. And on the last day we had, I think three emails go out. Yeah. Okay. And then was this all organic traffic going through this launch or were, was there like cold traffic going through it as well? So we tested it with organic traffic by inviting their list initially and by, by them sharing it in their, on their social and their Facebook groups and all of those things. And then once we prove, you know, we, we saw that it works, we validated the model. Then of course they started Facebook ads. Love it. Okay, great. So, and I want you to talk about, cause you said there's morning and afternoon or morning and evening emails going out to remind them to watch if they're not watching. And then on the last day, three emails. So I know, you know, there can be this kind of apprehension around sending too many emails. I don't want to annoy people. So can you kind of just speak to that of why, sure. why we should be sending more emails? Sure. So it will vary from audience to audience, which is why it is so important to understand how your audience responds to you and what your audience wants to hear from you. So this was based on really knowing their audience and knowing that they do enjoy those, you know, daily emails or frequent emails and those frequent reminders. Their audience doesn't really, you know, they're not always on their emails. So if you don't get them in the morning and their email gets buried, then you'll get them in the evening, you know, so it's like that. So we knew that audience segment responds really well. In cases where you know that, you know, people would not want to hear from you that often, that's what's important to know this. You know, if you know that, then you would want to work out a different email launch strategy, which is again why, you know, like when I work with clients, I'm not just, okay, tell me how many emails to write. I want to know what's the strategy behind it. And if you don't have a strategy, then we need to create one because I'm not putting, I'm not writing a single word without a solid strategy in place. So yeah, I need to know all of that before we start coming up with an email campaign and they can never be like a cookie cutter, one size fits all email campaign for any launch, whether it's, you know, live or evergreen, you may have certain emails that could be the same. So for example, I know everybody sends out case study emails and testimonial emails, but you also need to understand how can you make those stand out? How can you tailor those to the audience that you're, you're serving? You know, do you really need to pack in all testimonials in one email or would they be served better if you were to, you know, spread them across a series of emails. So all of this comes from the understanding your audience research. I love that. Okay. I, I'm taking notes, <laughs> but <laughs> I love that. I mean, yes, it all comes down to understanding the audience and how they respond. And it might take a few, I mean, we see this with ads too. Like it might take a few rounds of like kind of learning and seeing what you change from launch to launch and exactly. what like, who, you know, what the response is when you do it this way versus when you do it that way. Yeah, exactly. And that is why, you know, like I like being involved in a launch from start to finish and uh, even post the finish. So it's not just like, oh, we had a great launch and you were great. And I have like, and now I have my testimonial. And so I'm on my way. No, I want to know what can we do to make this better? Which is also why Monica, you know, like over the years, I've done like repeat projects with clients. Like the example I shared, the client I've done, like I did like nine, 10 different launches and I also did that, you know, things like their book funnel and a lot of other things for them. Another client who's in real estate education, I just counted yesterday because we signed her on for like, you know, a couple of new projects and I've done like almost 20 projects for her. 
and the reason why they come back to me is not because they like me. I, you know, that's, I'm sure I'm part of the mix, but also because they see the results from the work I do. So it's so important to be involved in the work that you do. And like I said, just function as a part of a team and not as a solo operator or freelancer. You need to be a team player. Right. Okay. So for launch copywriting, what are some common mistakes that people make when it comes to like planning out their launch or writing the copy for their launch? I mean, obviously not understanding your customer is one. What are some other ones? Yeah, no, uh, great, great question. So the thing is that launches are so common, like everybody's launching. And if you're in the online marketing industry, chances are you've already seen so many types, you know, different types of emails and different types of launch plans. And everybody's saying, you know, this one works and this one doesn't and whatever. But at the end of the day, what you want to know is what is it that your customer needs to hear from you in order to make a decision. And in order for you to know that, you need to know where are they in their journey from being just a browser to being a buyer? You know, do they even know that they need this product? Or do they know who you are? Or do they know that, yes, they have a problem, but they don't know where to find a product? So you need to know all of that when you start writing your copy. And, the, you know, the problems that come up happen when, when people write copy. Again, that is one size fits all. It's for someone who doesn't know you. And it's also for someone who does know you. So Again, it kind of ties down to, you know, knowing your audience and the stage of, uh, and their stage of awareness, so to speak. But it also comes down to knowing what it is that they need to hear from you in order to make that buying decision. So not just taking, say, you know, you see someone like an influencer send out a certain series of emails and go, okay, I'm going to send out the same kind of emails, or I'm going to have a sales page that looks exactly like this, not just in looks, but also in copy. It's not going to work. I mean. I've had like clients come to me and say, oh, I want to launch like Amy Porterfield. Nope, not happening. <laughs> so, you know, you need a launch that's going to be right for you. You know, that's going to be right for your audience. It's going to be perfect for them. So not what, you know, like not going down the, oh, I want to be like this, you know, not going down that route, but understanding what it is that you bring to the table and what it is that your audience needs to hear from you. So that's one of the things. The second thing is making your launch copy sound very different from who you really are. So if all the while you've been this like fun, bubbly, cheerful, happy person on social who shares, you know, things that she's eating and or what she's doing, what she's bearing, and then also, you know, mixing it up with business advice. And then all of a sudden in your emails, you're like, you're just someone else. Because you're either using a template that you got in a program that you signed up for, or you're using, you know, you're basing it off on emails that you you saw someone else send out. So there's a huge disconnect and your audience is left wondering like, who is this person? So that's the other thing is like not being very disconnected between who you are because people these days follow us everywhere. They may not be the same people, but they're also, you know, listening to you in different places. They may listen to you on a podcast. They may watch your YouTube videos. They may hear, read your blog and they may be on your email list. So you want to be as consistent with your voice. And again, good copywriters, that's their job. So they're going to study this and they're going to ensure that your emails, your sales copy sounds like you. So your audience is left wondering, like, who is this person? And the third mistake that I see is 
pushing the fear and scarcity pain just way too far. So urgency, scarcity, and fear and pain may have their place. They have their place in, in launches and in copy. And again, I know this is going to probably ruffle a lot of feathers, but when you tell people, okay, you know, for you to afford this program, you know, put it on your card, just pushing it too far. I, like, that's like a personal thing for me is I wouldn't want to tell people to get into debt to buy my program. And I'm not going to do that in the copy that I write. So that's the other thing. I will use fear in the right place and at the right amount. And I will use pain and I will use urgency and scarcity as powerful persuasion mechanisms. But I'm not going to push it to a point where, you, you know, you're just, yeah, it just leaves a bad taste in everybody's mouth. Right. Those like are the that. things. <laughs> I, th- I think, I mean, what you're describing is like, you know, authentic, authentic copywriting. So going back to your first point, when you're talking about, you know, copy is not one size fits all that you, you shouldn't be trying to speak to everybody in all the stages of journey. How do we tailor that? Because I, I feel like that's kind of, I want to meet people where they are with my sales page, but you know, I only have so much space. And so how do we go about that? How do we, I mean, do we just speak to the people who are ready to buy right now? Do we just speak to the people who are learning and researching? How do we know where to tailor that message? Great question. So let's look at, say, a launch funnel, for example, like an evergreen launch funnel, okay? So you've got this offer that you're selling to your audience. and But your opt-in essentially is going to... And again, your research is going to drive a lot of that, but your opt-in is essentially going to cater to people who probably don't know you that well and who maybe know that they have a problem, but they need you know, more education about it. And they also need to be more convinced that this problem is actually holding them back. So that's like, you know, and so that's like the stage where you want to use copy that builds connection with them. Let me back up a little real quick. The framework that I use for my copy is is called the connection conversion framework, which is basically based on understanding our audience and the different stages they are at and then tailoring the copy to that. So the connection framework starts with connection conversion framework starts with connection. And that is where you understand, you know, what is it that your audience needs to hear from you? So for an evergreen launch funnel, your first point of contact is usually your social media updates that drive people to your opt-in. It could be, or your free content. It could be your podcast. It could be your Instagram. It could be your YouTube video, whatever, you know, your free content and then leading people to your opt-in and getting them into your funnel. So the, the free content that you're creating is for people to get to know you is for people to get to like you and also for them to understand that, you know, that the struggle they've been experiencing or the pain that they've been, you know, bearing for so long is that they're not the only ones. There are others like them and that there is a solution for that. So when you get them into the, into the opt-in, by then they already should know you. And then your email sequence kicks into place. So your email sequence is just, is then going to build on educating them and validating their past experiences, which are the other stages in the connection conversion framework. So you've got connection, education, validation, conversion, coming back to connection again. And like any launch sequence, any evergreen launch sequence, or even any launch sequence would actually like take people through these stages and then, you know, move them towards conversion. So your email sequence does the job of building, you know, the trust factor of building the, you know, uh, strengthening the likability and the, you know, the relationship that you've got going there with them. So by the time they come to your sales page, 
by then, they already know you, like you, and trust you, and they're ready to become buyers, and you shut your sales page in like a well-crafted evergreen sequence just needs to kind of build on this relationship that you've got going. So you need to speak to whatever objections they may have. You need to speak to social proof and show them that others like them have gone ahead and done this. You need to speak to what really sets you apart because you would have things like your, maybe you've invited them to a webinar along the way in the middle, you know, maybe where you've made your pitch, or maybe you've given more free content to them through either videos or additional resources. So by now they know you're an expert, they know you know your stuff, but they also need to know that this is going to work for them and in their situation. And that is where then, you know, your conversion mechanisms kick into place. And you also need to know, you know, you need to address the question like, why should they act? now. So then your sales pitch has a very specific job and it's not going to be like, you're not just speaking to everyone all the time. Unless of course, you know, you want to drive cold traffic to your sales pitch, which makes this task a little more challenging then. But for most evergreen sequences, you're driving traffic, cold traffic to your opt-in. And you would know this, you know, like uh, with Facebook ads, it's the same thing. You're driving cold traffic to the opt-in, letting the email sequence kick into place. And then you're retargeting people who've seen the sales pitch, but not yet bought. So that's like a different thing. So does that help? Like that's like a really long answer, I know. No, that makes it so much easier in my mind because I mean, I know all this, you know, we do this with our clients about driving, you know, traffic to the opt-in and then we retarget the warm audience to the sales page and, you know, let them know about like the offer that's going away or whatever. But, you know, when I'm thinking about writing a sales page, it's helpful to know that I don't have to address all of that because I've got these other pieces that are helping people move through the journey of getting to know me, getting to know that they're not alone and that I've got a solution for them to help resolve this problem. So that's super helpful. Thank you. Awesome. Okay. So are there any rules or... I mean, I feel like it's you know it's going to be a... kind of depends on your offer and your audience type of answer, but how long funnels should be for the evergreen funnels because I've seen some long ones and I've seen some short ones. I've seen some funnels that kind of go from, you know, funnel to funnel to funnel. (laughs) So any tips there? Yeah. No, that's, you know, you're absolutely right. That is one of the questions that does come up is like, you know, so how long should my funnel be? Or, you know, I've seen like a 60 email funnel that's worked really well. And I've seen like a 25 email funnel that's worked really well. So again, there is no one size fits all quest answer to this one, but it would depend on, I would say like, think about, again, go back to how much does your audience need to communicate with you to feel fully confident about the decision that they're making. So and so here's what you would need to look at uh, just to kind of help you make this decision, you know, more easily and in a more informed way. You want to look at what are you offering? Who are you offering it to? What are their questions? What uh, Are you answering all of those questions? Are you answering all of their objections? Are you making it really easy for them to buy? And then you also want to look at, you know, do they have other people involved in the buying decision? This is so important and a lot of people forget about this, but the fact is that especially if your audience is moms, most moms want to consult their husbands before making a buying decision. That's what at least we found in our research. So you need to factor time in for that. And you also need to give them tools to make that happen, right? So you need to think about these questions before deciding how long your funnel is going to be, which is why the strategy part, Monica, is so important, which is why I 
always talk uh, strategy and mapping out the email funnel for clients when I speak with them on a call. But basically what we're looking at is even in an evergreen funnel, we are looking at, are you building, you know, the connection with them? And are you using things like reciprocity? Are you using educational videos or blog posts or social media copy or Facebook ads to give them like, you know, to help them really understand you? We look at the funnel as a whole. And then once they come into your funnel, are you continuing to, you know, build on that? And are you increasing likability? Are you helping them to stay connected with you? And then are you generating authority? Are you winning those authority points? Are you helping them see you as an expert? So that by the time they reach the sales page, they're already pre-sold on you. I love that. Okay. That's really helpful. So we set up an evergreen funnel and we hit go and you know maybe we're driving organic traffic to it or we've got our Facebook ads driving traffic to it. And it's just not converting the way that we want it to. Where do we start in troubleshooting that to figure out how to increase those conversions? Oh, I love that you asked this. So this would be like a multi-part process. So say, for example, you find that people are... And this is with, based on the assumption that you have a webinar, which is going to be your launch mechanism or your pitch vehicle. So you've got like people opting in to watch your webinar, right? But they're not showing up. So you want to tackle the show up sequence right away. If you find that people are not opting in, they're clicking from the Facebook ad, but they're not opting in, that's when you know you need to fix your opt-in page. If you find that people are opting in, they're showing up for the webinar, but they're not buying, they're clicking through the sales page, but they're not buying, then you need to fix your sales page. If from the webinar, they're not clicking through or they're just dropping off, then you need to fix the pitch section of your webinar because that's obviously not doing its job well enough. And then if they're watching the webinar, they're clicking through to the sales page, they're not bought, but they're still on your list and your post-webinar email sequence has kicked in and they're opening those emails, but they're not buying, then you need to look at this, the CTA and the copy in those emails. But if they're not opening those emails either, then you need to look at the subject lines. So it's like a whole, you know, it's very step-by-step step and everything needs to be database. And let's say, for example, like they opening your emails, your post-webinar emails, they're clicking through, but they're not buying. That again means then we need to look at the sales page. Does that help? Absolutely. I love that. I mean, just go to the root of the problem. Where are people dropping off? Where are they hitting a roadblock where they're not taking the next step? Are they not even opening the emails? Are they not watching the webinar? Are they not purchasing once they get to the sales page? Where are people dropping off? And then focus your attention there first. So, okay, with this, how many people should we be having go through our funnel? Because this is something that I see a lot where people are like, you know, oh, I've been running my ads into my funnel for a week and I'm not seeing the sales. And, you know, a lot of times then I'll say, well, how long is your sales funnel? Because if it's, you know, you've been driving leads for a week, but your sequence is seven days long, then that means only the people that, you know, opted in the first day have actually gone through the entire thing. So Mm -hmm. what is your kind of, you know, sample size that you're going off of when you're saying, okay, I know we've gotten enough people in the funnel. Now we see there clearly is an issue as opposed to we just haven't had enough leads go through the entire funnel yet. Yeah. So if someone comes to me and says like, you know, we've had like, uh, we're getting in say 10 leads a day and their funnel has been running for say 30 days 
and they're not like their conversion is at like 1% or lower than that, then I know we have a problem. If people come in and say that, I would ideally want to look at a funnel at least 30 to 60 days after it's been running before like making any major changes and also ensuring that they're sending enough leads. So enough leads would, again, depend industry to industry and offer to offer, but you would want anywhere between, and I've got like clients with lead numbers all over the place. Like someone we recently signed on is getting 200 to 300, 200 to 400 leads a day, you know? So that's like, and this is for like a crafting community. So it's like very different from someone who's say getting in uh, 50 to 100 leads a day. But again, you do want like a decent sample size getting in say two to three leads a day for an offer that's about $1,000 is going to be really less. So you definitely want to have higher numbers, in which case then we would either want to increase the organic traffic or the paid traffic that you're sending to the opt-in page so that we can evaluate it 30, 60 days from now. But usually I find like 60 days from now, most people who hire a copywriter and who have like a team, like a small team of people to they are getting anywhere between, and I'm going to give you a really wide range. They're going to get be getting anywhere from, you know, 50 to, like I said, 400 leads a day. So yeah, that would give us a fairly good sample size. Okay. And then when you make an adjustment, so let's say, you know, it's the webinar that people are dropping off and not watching the whole thing. So they're not even getting to the pitch and understanding the value of the offer. Once you like make an update, Then you do this again where you let it go for about 30 to 60 days and drive enough leads again to see, is that how it works? Do you start over again with that time period? Usually, no. Usually the change is almost like this. You know, like you can see it Uh, go wrap. You'd all of a sudden like open rates would improve. You would know if you're like clinical in kind of finding out where people are dropping off and, you know, fixing the leaks in your funnel, it becomes really easy. Like you would say, oh yeah, my open rates just shot up. Or, you know, oh wow, people are staying on for the whole webinar. That's really cool. So you would be able to see changes. And we've seen this like multiple times. People have come back and said, yeah. And then you know that you've, you found like the leak, it's plugged, the funnel's running, and you can let it run. I love it. That's really good news because talking through all this, it can take time. You know, so many people want instant results when they turn on ads to their funnel. You know, they want to see that ROI immediately. But especially yeah. if it's a brand new funnel and it's not tested, like it, go yeah. into it expecting there's going to be something that needs to be tweaked. And yeah. while it might take you, you know, I don't know how long it takes you to put together a funnel initially, but however long that takes, some longer than others, I know. But anyway, once you get that going, then, you know, just don't expect that like, you know, you're going to have consistent sales right off the bat or the number of sales that you're looking for. And so once you have that data, then you go to fix, you know, fix the leak in your funnel. And then after that, you can, you know, hopefully see a big improvement. And then it's just about, you know, troubleshooting from there. Then if there's a, you know, a stopping point and later on in the funnel, then you fix that one. And really, I think looking at the big picture and the long-term benefit of what this is going to do for your business and for your students and for your clients. You're helping more people on autopilot. You know, it's definitely worth the hard work. I think it's um, just a lot of people get discouraged initially and then they, um, they don't get back to fixing those leaks in the funnel. I think that they are just end up scrapping the entire funnel when I've seen there's so much potential there. So anything to speak to that? 
Yeah, no, absolutely. In some cases, in a lot of our clients' cases, you know, and we've seen their funnels perform really well straight off the bat. For example, the real estate education client that I'm talking about, like all the funnels, we've like, they've been running like a charm <laughs> ever since she's deployed them. And I feel like, of course, you know, she's also very consistent with creating her own free content, driving people consistently to her lead magnets and ensuring that everything's running well. But the, her funnel's been performing really, really well. And we've not had to like, you know, find a leak or fix a leak at all. And that can happen. That happens a lot. But again, if it is not happening, it doesn't mean that all is lost and that you need to burn the whole thing to the ground and start from scratch. Nope. You can just go piece by piece and then figure out where the leak is and, and just plug it. It's as simple as that. And that's true for live launches as well, because there are so many moving parts and pieces in both live launching and evergreen launching that sometimes there is grit in the gears in one part of the machine. It doesn't mean the whole machine is broken. That's a great analogy. And I mean, also when you're working with an expert like you, then that's where, you know, you've got so much experience under your belt that you know where those, you know, points might be that you're already addressing that ahead of time. So, you know, that's where hiring an expert can help you kind of like, you know, move farther faster with getting to those conversion rates. So Perna, I want to thank you so much for your time. I mean, I could just keep going all day (laughs) talking to you about this stuff because I love your expertise and just, you know, figuring out how we can help people increase sales and get better conversions. So I want to thank you for your time. But where can people find you? How can they reach out to you? Where is the best way to connect? Well, thank you. Our website, contentbistro.com, will be the best place for you to find us. Otherwise, please reach out to me on Instagram. Our website has lots of free resources, copywriting checklists, a lot of great tutorials and stuff. So you'll find that really helpful. But otherwise, Instagram at Content Bistro will be, yeah, the best place to connect with me. Send me a DM. Let me know when you're listening to this. And if there's anything that kind of stood out at you or that you'd like to chat more about, I would love that. Love it. Thank you so much. This is so fun to chat with you, Perna. Thank you for bringing all of your insights and expertise to us today. Thank you so much for inviting me, Monica. Again, like you, I could go on with this forever. But yeah, really appreciated you inviting me and I loved our talk together. Yay, thank you. I want to thank Prerna once again for joining me on the podcast today and sharing her insights with us. I always love hanging out with her and I am honored to be her friend. She's an amazing businesswoman and she knows what works when it comes to writing copy that converts. We covered so many topics and ideas in this episode from launching to evergreen. I'd really love to hear your biggest takeaways. So share those with us in the comments at monicalouie.com slash 54, or you can tag us on Instagram. I'm at Flourish with Monica and she is at Content Bistro. And once again, you can find all the links and resources that Prerna and I mentioned in the episode at monicalouie.com slash 54. And thank you so much for joining Prerna and me today. If you are ready to scale your business with Facebook ads, then check out my free Facebook ads starter kit. And you can find that at monicalouie.com slash guide. The starter kit takes you through the six steps to creating campaigns that convert. Plus, there's an awesome checklist. You can make sure you've got everything you need before you jump into the ads manager. And if you're like me, you love a good checklist. And if you're interested in learning more about how my team and I might be able to help you with your Facebook, Instagram, or Pinterest ads, go to monicalouie.com slash WWM. And we have information there about our services. 
All right. Just once again, I have all the links and resources that we mentioned in the show notes today, which you can find at monicalouie.com slash 54. And if you found this helpful, please leave a rating and review so that more people can find this podcast. It truly helps get the podcast found by more people. And subscribe so that you can be notified when the next episode comes out. We have a whole bunch of amazing episodes coming out, and I don't want you to miss them. Brand new episodes come out every single Thursday. And next week, I've got another incredible guest interview heading your way. So subscribe so you don't miss it. My guest is a veteran blogger and a serial entrepreneur. She's done almost everything when it comes to online business. And with great success too, she has built multiple six and seven figure businesses. And she's done it all while homeschooling her kids. She is an inspiration and she's sharing her journey with us and how she does it all so beautifully on next week's episode of the Flourish to Seven Figures podcast. That's all for today. Take care, stay healthy, and let's flourish. Flourish.